0: So, continuing the theme of the teenage brain, um, what I try and do, and I've I've put them under, I call them Corey's seven Cs, some pieces of advice for how we can take some of this theory, apply it in real life, and maybe develop it with some more explanations. So, consistency, calmness, conflict avoidance, care, compassion, control, and character. Those are the sort of areas... To focus on. And the, the, I suppose the broad heading is mirror neurons. So we know from the research that uh, if I'm teaching sport um, and I'm teaching basketball, for example, um, I'm not just going to talk at the children. In fact, it'd be quite effective if I'm good at basketball and I go out there and I show them how to take a free throw and I'm going to shoot the basketball, and all the time the children will be watching me shoot my body positioning and so on and they won't be great at it when they copy me but there are things in your head called mirror neurons which will uh, be evolutionary wired to copy because we see it in the animal kingdom how people copy their parents and so in sport you're going to copy your coach and the better your coach the more able you are to copy some perfect technique but what we've learned is that that applies in other areas as well so your children literally are learning to mirror behaviors. So if you're swearing at home they're going to mirror that. But they're also going to mirror consistency and calmness. They're going to look at how you how you uh, avoid conflict and so on and you're going to do that with them. So those those 7 Cs are really really important. But what we also know is that when faced with an immediate personal decision adolescents rely less on intellectual capability and more on feelings, and this links back to what I was saying earlier about about the amygdala and uh, that other part of the brain being sort of better wired, more easy to use, and by default the brain will go through it. So even when reasoning about a hypothetical moral dilemma, uh, teenagers will reply on logical information. This is really important because when you're dealing with the older teen, 17, 18, 19 years old, they inhabit a physical body that is like an adult. And they can sit and rationalise extremely intelligent and intellectual thoughts with you, which is great, highly stimulating in the educational setting. But it is, and it's not false, it's not a lie. But what the research also shows is that when a poor decision is made in the heat of the moment, the adolescent may know better, but the salience of the emotional context biases his or her behaviour in the opposite direction of the optimal reaction. Um, so, So this is like... This comes out of work to do with social cognition, showing that that rational decisions can be made in the hypothetical, but environmental context is key. And put really simply, all of that research, all of that data confirms what we already know, which is peer group pressure is king. And absolutely, what you have to do is you have to build in the non-negotiables that are fail-safes, because uh, I cannot tell you how important peer group pressure is. It's more important than anything else, including the rational brain of the individual and the parents' earnest and passionate desire for the well-being of their children. So teenagers will do stupid things. The science shows that's normal. We have to help them, and helping them can be in all sorts of ways. But but what, whatever that is, you know, paying for a taxi to pick them up to take them away from a situation that's got out of hand, or having special code texts that. You can rely on to to create an excuse to bring someone away from a difficult situation or giving them a toolkit that is a default mechanism for being able to to do something in the moment because otherwise they'll go along with their peers even though they don't want to so again i'm normalizing behavior it's not their fault as a data set teenagers will do that naturally And the other thing that I want to draw on is that adolescents, as compared to children and adults show an exaggerated, it's called the accumbens response in the brain, in anticipation of reward. Put simply, the dopamine effect of um, either the the anticipation of reward, it's, it's, um, it's going to be that they feel the reward of pleasure more intensely than we do. So... There's two things here. There's both a threat and a way of using that to our advantage in terms of learning. The threat is that they're going to chase risk. And we know that teenagers do that because the anticipation and the delivery is a chemical high. And that could be going too fast in the car or it could be going to a party. I mean, there's just loads of different things that are highly risky, but that teenagers do because it is an exaggerated chemical effect in the brain. But also, what we know is that 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 tingle of success is um, motivational in all contexts. Of course, the the biggest people who understand this are computer game designers. So, getting so far in a computer game is a dopamine reward. Dying, respawning, doing it again, getting further, another dopamine reward. It's addictive, genuinely, and that's what computer game designers know. It's a, it's a highly uh, you know, billion-dollar industry playing on this effect. We can actually do it ourselves. We can create. We all know that when we do something, let's imagine we're in a group, because it could be as adults as well. It's just that teens feel it more acutely. But, you know, you're asked a challenging question and then you think, hang on, I know this, and you, you suggest an answer and the, and the person who's leading the group goes, yes, bingo. You get a tiny little thrill, a tiny little buzz, and you sort of sit a bit straighter and you've got a bit more of a smile on your face. That is the same thing. A tiny bit of chemical has been released in your brain that says, I can do this again. So there's a huge educational impact on that. There's a huge parenting impact on that because, um, Teenagers, as we've said, feel the reward of pleasure more intensely. So they will feel your praise more intensely. And we probably don't praise our teenagers enough. So that's the point. Let's take that away. Let's do that more. We'll probably reap the dividends of that. And actually, further studies say you have to do it five times to counteract every one negative. So you should be praising your teens five times more than you criticise them. Very, very difficult when all you're doing is nagging about homework, which, let's face it, we all do. So, we know there are differences between girls and boys. girls will typically be more advanced along this kind of developmental route by about two years on average. So, again, what we see play out in girls uh, it is similar things, gender differences, of course, but two years earlier than boys who tend to have the same things going on two years later it's again it's not one one is better than the other they have their own challenges and it's just that girls surge of activity develops in the hippocampus memory two years earlier boys do maybe have that surge in the amygdala the emotional response again probably for for evolutionary reasons so my question is What qualities are valued in successful students? So at school, what are the qualities that we say make a good student? I'll help you with the answer. They know a variety of study techniques. They know when to use which technique. They, they put time into their study skills and homework. They're interested and motivated. They set their own learning goals. They plan how to meet those goals. They manage time well. They prioritise. They focus on important things and they're well-behaved. Managing inappropriate behaviour, self-monitoring to free back. If, in fact, all the things we value as adults, but which the teen brain is not at all designed to cope with. So we're, we are essentially setting them up to fail at school. So we've designed school for adults, we've put teens in it, and then we wonder why they struggle. So we have to be their frontal lobe. We have to be following them around, helping them to cope with managing their schedules, their revision, their sense of purpose, the whys and wherefores, like why should I even do maths? You know, all of those things. And the reason is not because they're being difficult, but because the frontal lobe is asking the question. And you're the frontal lobe, so you have to answer those questions. So the problem is that the part of the brain develops last is, is that bit there that, that will help them with their distractions and emotions, but we will impose the external structure that will help them do so. And for that, we need to understand how we learn.